Well, this year, um, as a church family, we've been working our way through Luke's gospel in the New Testament. We've been doing this uh, verse by verse, uh, dividing the different chapters into individual sermon series that are based on the main themes that we see. And we've taken a few breaks here and there, uh, like with our Summer in the Psalm series. Um, But today, we're going to get back to Luke. Uh, We're going to be in Luke chapter 8. We're going to begin a four-week message series that I'm calling The Foundation of Faith. The Foundation of Faith. Now, before we dive into this message, I thought I would share a few fun facts about Luke's gospel as a whole. And I'll be honest, some of these things I didn't learn until uh, this week. So uh, Luke is actually the longest book in the New Testament. Now, you may be thinking, how is that? Luke has 24 chapters, and um, we have books like Acts and then uh, Matthew that have 28 chapters. So, so how is that? Well, Luke has more verses and words. So it's technically the longest book in the New Testament. And uh, even though the Apostle Paul uh, wrote most of the New Testament books, uh, when you look at it by books, he wrote about two-thirds of them, um, Luke is the New Testament's most prolific author by sheer volume because he also wrote the book of Acts. You know, I always hear, uh, you know, Paul wrote, you know, most of the New Testament, and he did in terms of books, but uh, Luke has the most words, so I think he, he beat him to the punch on that one. And uh, Luke is uh, the only gospel that was written by a Gentile, uh, actually the only book in the New Testament that was written by a Gentile. Luke was a, a Gentile doctor, a physician. Um, he was not a Jew. And this makes a lot of sense that he was a doctor because of the, the detail that he used in his writing, the detailed nature of his writing. Um, listen to how he chose to begin uh, his gospel. Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. This is what he wrote. He says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. So many people are doing this, right? Many people are writing about the life of Jesus, the things they've seen. Said they used eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. And he says, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. And so, Under the guidance and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke took his time writing his gospel. And he did this by interviewing those who were eyewitnesses to Jesus' birth, to his life and ministry, to his crucifixion, and ultimately his resurrection. These are people that saw this with their own eyes. He investigated these details from the very beginning. And he put together an accurate account for us that can be trusted. And because of this, we actually find details in Luke that we don't see in the other Gospels. These are not contradictory things. It's just more detail because, again, he was a detail-oriented person. Maybe maybe a little OCD. I don't know. But uh, specifically, some of the parables uh, that Jesus used to teach his disciples. And we know that a parable is an earthly story that has a heavenly Meaning. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus loved to teach in parables. Jesus was a storyteller, and Luke recorded many of these parables for us. In fact, we're going to begin this new series by reading and learning from one of Jesus' parables. And so at this time, um, if you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand with me um, as I read today's passage aloud. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Um, we'll have the words on the screen, but if you have a Bible with you and you'd like to open that in front of you uh, or your phone or your tablet, you can do that as well. 
And so this is what we read. Uh, This is the beginning of Luke chapter 8. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business part, uh, manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So this really sets the tone, and then we start to read the parable. One day, Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. He said, a farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across the field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for the lack of moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. And when he said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples asked him what this parable meant, and he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled, that when they look, they won't really see, and when they hear, they won't understand. He said, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and they receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while and then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the good soil, that represents uh, honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, they cling to it and patiently produce a huge harvest. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us uh, to hear your word today, to truly hear it, that we would listen and understand, that our hearts would receive it, that we would learn how to apply these things so that we can be faithful followers of Jesus and be for your glory and for the good of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So a longer passage, I know. You can sit the rest of the message. Is that okay? (laughs) Some of you are like, oh yeah. Well, one of the major themes that we see in Luke chapter 8 is this. It's how to get faith and how to put that faith to work in the everyday experiences of life. How many of you would like your faith to grow? Yeah, if you'd like your faith to grow, look at your neighbor and say, oh yeah. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I would like my faith to grow. And so in the first half of this passage, uh, Jesus, he laid the foundation for what he was going to build on with this parable. He laid the foundation by teaching his disciples that faith comes through hearing God's word and then understanding what it's all about. In the second half, 
he gets a little bit more personal with the disciples. He puts them through a series of examinations to see how much they'd really learned and applied throughout the time that they'd been with him. You know, I think many Christians enjoy the learning aspect of our faith. And here's what I mean by that. We like to attend Bible studies, which is great. We like to listen to sermons. That's a good thing to do. We like to read books. We, we enjoy the learning aspect of our faith. But I think we often neglect the application of what it is we're learning. We're great at learning. We're not always great at application. And so I want to challenge you today with this truth, that it's in the application of God's word in everyday life that our faith really grows. And when I mean everyday life, I mean everything. It's picking up Legos for the 12th time off the floor. It's dealing with that difficult coworker. It's having to sit and listen to that teacher that you don't really get along with in school. It's, it's being the hands and feet of Jesus in the difficult places. So it's in the application of God's word in everyday life that, that our faith really grows as we learn from Jesus to live like Jesus. We can't just expect to show up on Sunday, hear a message, walk out the door, and then our lives are forever changed. We have to apply what we learn. Um, early 20th century atheist and writer H.L. Mencken, he defined faith this way. He said, faith is an illogical belief in the occurrence of the impossible. It's an illogical belief of the, of the occurrence of the impossible. That's what he said. Uh, Mark Twain, a more recognizable name, he said that faith is believing what you know ain't so. It sounds like home, doesn't it? <laughs> well, these two men, they, they were describing superstition, not faith. Because the faith of the Christian rests on a solid foundation. Amen? Our faith rests on a solid foundation. It's been said that every person who's ever lived, you know, lives by faith in something or someone. You know, if you're talking to someone who says, you know, how can you have faith in the Bible? How can you have faith in God? Well, everyone has faith in something or someone. The, the difference between the, the Christian and the unsaved person is not that one has faith and the other doesn't. They both have faith. The difference is in the object of their faith. For faith is only as good as the object. So as Christians, we put our faith in Jesus. Amen? We put our faith in Jesus. And according to Scripture, uh, he bases that faith on the word of God. So the context for today's passage is actually given to us in the first three verses. Um, it says that soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages. He was preaching, announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him. This was, this was a learning opportunity for them along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So that's the context. Jesus was continuing his ministry in Galilee, um, assisted by his disciples. And then I think an important uh, detail that we often overlooked, this mission, this this ministry outing was largely supported by a few godly women who contributed by giving financially from their own resources. And this is huge and why we don't want to skip over this, because in the Jewish culture in the first century, women were not supposed to learn from rabbis. Right? That was a no-no. So by inviting these women to travel with him, to follow him, to be his disciples, Jesus was showing that the gospel is for everyone that the ground is level before the cross. 
Now, I think about it this way, regardless of what you came in here with this morning, the baggage in your life, the hurts that you're experiencing, the separation and, and, and you know, division in family and broken relationships, whatever is going on in your life today, um, the gospel is for you. The invitation is for you. The ground is level before the cross. Jesus had ministered to these women in a huge way. And the Bible says he drove out demons in some and physically healed others. Their lives were completely changed. And because of this, they chose to serve God with their whole life. Their whole life. Between verses 4, so once we move out of the context, between verses 4 and 18, the word here is used nine times. Here. And the way Jesus chose to use the word suggests that it means so much more than simply listening to words. Right now, you're hearing the words that I'm saying, but are you truly hearing what I'm saying? You know, oftentimes we hear things, but do we really hear them? I'm sitting on the couch, my wife's talking to me, I'm looking through my emails, I'm hearing what she's saying, but friends, sometimes I'm not really hearing what she's saying, amen? You understand, men, we know? (laughs) <laughs> never. Dan says, I'm perfect. It never happens to me. <laughs> and, and rightfully so, she gets frustrated. You know, and sometimes I wonder, like, how does that affect the heart of God whenever we're hearing God's word, but we're not really hearing God's word? We're somewhere and we're listening to it, but we're not really understanding it. Verse 8, Jesus said, anyone with ears to hear... And this is what hearing means, should listen and understand. So hearing means listening with spiritual understanding and receptivity. We're receiving it in the heart. Romans 10 verse 17 says, faith comes from hearing. Now we know that that's not just listening to words, but it's truly hearing what's being said. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so with this in mind, I think we can start to unpack the parable that Jesus used in Luke 8. The first thing that I want to talk about today, if you're taking notes, is that we hear and and, and understand the word. We should hear and understand the word. The first part is this parable that Jesus gave. He gives some clarity later on. So Luke 8, verses 4 through 8, he says, One day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. He said, a farmer went out to plant his seed. And as he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath. This is a a hard surface. He said, where it was stepped on, the birds came and they ate it. Other seed fell among rocks and began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. But still other seed fell on fertile soil. And this seed grew and it produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as has been planted. And when he said this, he called out anyone with ears to hear. Don't just listen to the words, but really hear what he's saying. You should listen and understand. So initially, the farmer represents Jesus. But I tend to agree with the majority of commentators who who say that the farmer can also represent any of God's people who choose to share Jesus with others. The seed, it tells us clearly here, is the Word of God, and it's the Word of God that can produce spiritual fruit in our lives, the good works that God has prepared in advance for each and every one of you to do. But the seed cannot produce this fruit unless it's planted in the right kind of soil. 
my wife's a pretty good gardener. We grow things, we eat them. If she were to put that responsibility in my hands, it wouldn't go good. It wouldn't go well. Right, we'd have to go to the farmer's market, and then I'd come home, and I don't think I'd lie to you. I may say, hey, check out what I did. It's not really what I did. But So when a person hears and understands God's word, then the seed is planted in the soil of the heart. The soil here represents the human heart. And what happens to the seed after it's planted really depends on the nature of the soil. Jesus called this parable the parable of the sower, but it's also referred to today as the parable of the soils. You could say the parable of the hearts. Trying to paraphrase the overarching truth in this parable, the main theme, uh, author Warren Wearsby, he said that the seed without the soil is fruitless and the soil without the seed is almost useless. The human heart is like soil. If it's prepared properly, it can receive the seed of the word of God and produce a fruitful harvest. So Jesus here, he described four kinds of soils or or hearts to his disciples, three of which don't produce any fruit at all, and one that does. So as we read about these different kinds of soils today, these different kinds of hearts, I want to challenge you to examine your own life today. This isn't about looking next to your spouse today and saying, this is the area you need to grow in. It's not about looking to your neighbor and saying, this is the area you need to grow in. No, we need to look at ourselves today. Can we do that? I want to challenge you with that. So the first thing that we're going we're gonna to talk about is kind of really one point with four uh, secondary points, if you're taking notes. The first kind of soil, the first kind of heart that Jesus talks about is the hard soil. This is the hard heart. Um, we see this in verses 11 through 12. And this is the meaning of the parable. Jesus said the, the seed is God's word. The seed that fell on the footpath, remember that's the hard surface, that's the hard soil. It represents those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. So this soil represents the person who hears God's word but immediately decides not to believe. They allow the devil to snatch the seed away. This person hears the good news about Jesus but they refuse to believe it because their heart is hard. I've known several people in the church over the years who decided to reject the truth of God's word, reject the truth about Jesus um, initially, but after the faithful prayers of God's people, guess what happened? God got a hold of them, and they eventually believed. And one thing I know about you today is that you have someone in your life who has rejected the good news. Someone in your circle of influence, whether it's a neighbor, a family member, a coworker, a friend, they've heard about Jesus, but they've decided to reject it. And what I want to encourage you today with is this don't stop praying for that person. Persevere in prayer for that person. Prayer teaches us to rely on God, and this is something that only God can do. He's the only one who can soften the soil of the heart. If you know someone who's just hard-hearted, they don't believe, don't stop praying for them. Friends, nothing is impossible with our God. Amen? Don't stop praying. The second kind of soil or heart that we see is what I'm going to call the shallow soil. It's the shallow soil. We see this in verse 13. And Jesus said that the seeds on the rocky soil, this is that shallow soil, 
represent those who hear the message and they receive it with joy. They're so pumped up. They're so excited about Jesus. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a little while and then they fall away when they face temptation. I have seen this over and over again. And I get questions about this too. We see people come you know, to church and they hear the message and they're excited. Maybe they start serving. And then after a while, we just don't see them anymore. It's like, what happened to these people? Where did they go? They've stepped away. And, and I, I think a lot of times they, they're trying to plant in shallow soil. They don't have deep roots. They don't have deep roots. They fall away when they face temptation. And it's heartbreaking. This soil, I think, represents the emotional hearer who quickly responds to the good news, to the the gospel, but their commitment to Jesus slowly fades and they eventually fall away when things get tough. Things get tough in their marriage. Things get tough at work. Something goes on at church that they maybe don't agree with. They fall away. I've never been to the Holy Land But I read this week from some people who had, and they say that in certain parts of the Holy Land, um, you can find limestone, really hard surface, that's actually covered with a thin layer of soil. So if you can kind of picture that for a moment. Really hard limestone covered with a thin layer of soil. Small plants will actually start to grow in this soil. But because the roots can't grow deep, guess what happens? As soon as the hot sun comes out, the plants, they wither and they die. The roots aren't deep. I think the sun can represent the trials and the troubles that we all face. In fact, sunlight is a good thing, isn't it? Sunlight is good for plants if they have deep roots, but not so much if they don't. It's funny how the sun can play two roles like that, can't it? The sun can be so good for the life, for the plant that has deep roots, but it's not so good for those that don't. You know, trials and troubles, they they can deepen the roots of a true believer. We know that when we face trials and and troubles of many kinds, that develops perseverance in our lives. It develops character, more Christ-like character. We grow through trials. We don't like them, but that's how we grow but they only expose the shallowness of someone whose roots aren't growing down into Christ. In the same way that someone has a hard heart and they choose not to believe, when someone believes and they choose to step away, I do think we should pursue them. We should run after them. You know, Jesus left the 99 in pursuit of the one. I don't think we just wipe off, you know, the dust on our feet and keep going in that situation. I think we run after them. We encourage them. We we come alongside them and help them uh, in that, that root-growing process. They may just need a listening ear and someone to hear about what it is they're going through. We never know what someone's going through when they step through these doors on Sunday morning. Colossians 2.7 says, let your roots grow down into the world. Oh, wait, no, it doesn't say that, sorry. It says, let your roots grow down into him, into Jesus, and let your lives be built on him. And then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Friends, our lives need to grow down deep. Our roots need to grow into Jesus. Our lives need to be built on him. I can tell you this. You know, Sunday morning isn't everything, but if I didn't have Sunday morning, I'd probably lose everything pretty quick. 
It means so much to my faith and to my family to be able to gather with our friends and with God's people, to grow together, to challenge each other, to pray for one another. We need that community. Let your roots grow down into him. And so that's the shallow soil. I wonder, I wonder if there's anyone here today that you would say that, that represents your heart right now. You need the deeper roots. The third kind of soil or heart is what I'm going to call the crowded soil. The crowded soil. We see this in verse 14. It says, The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. They never produce fruit. So this soil represents the person who hears the message, they they believe it, but they fail to weed out the things that hinder God's word and his work in their life. How frustrating and how difficult must that be? You come on Sunday morning, you, you participate in small groups, you're encouraged through the word, you're fired up in your faith, and then because you decide, you know what, there's just some things in life that I love a little too much, maybe I love these more than I love God, that's just something I can't get rid of. Well, those are the weeds that crowd out the growth in our life. They choke it. There's enough good soil in this person's life so the roots can grow deep. That's not the issue. But there's not enough room for the plant to grow up and produce good fruit because of everything else that's getting in the way. This is the worries and cares of the world. This is materialism. It's temporary pleasures of life. I think a lot of people find themselves in this situation with this kind of soil. There's just too many things in the world that they don't want to give up, and because of that, it affects their relationship with God. They never produce fruit. This person uh, who has a crowded heart, they, they never experience what it's like to truly know the joys of living for Jesus. It's like weeds in a garden that keep the soil from producing the crop. Some of you today, you may need to focus on weeding out some of the things that are keeping you from growing in your faith. And these are the things that are our human nature, our sinful hearts that they long for, that they want. But God wants to replace that with a new heart and a new passion and new desires. We say no to some things so that we can say yes to the most important thing. Amen. Finally, We have the good soil. We have the good soil. We see this in verse 15. Jesus said, And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word. Remember that this isn't just hearing words, but it's truly hearing the word. They cling to it, and they patiently produce a huge harvest. So this is the only kind of soil that Jesus talked about that's truly fruitful. It represents the person who hears the word, who understands it, who receives it in their heart. It it moves from the head to the heart. These people decide to follow Jesus no matter the cost. They've died to self. They've taken up their cross and they follow Jesus daily. John 15 verse 5, Jesus said that I am the vine, you 
are the branches. That if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. I think it's important for us to stop and recognize and maybe remember that not everybody produces the same amount of fruit. But that God's word is clear that all true believers will produce some fruit as evidence of their relationship with God. Not everybody produces the same amount of fruit, the same kind of fruit, but all true believers will produce some fruit. That's the evidence of our relationship with Jesus, one of them. And this fruit, I think, includes winning others to Jesus. It's sharing your faith. It's giving of your time, your talents, and your treasure to be a kingdom worker for God. It's doing the good works that that point other people to Jesus. It's uh, learning how to grow in and demonstrate Christ-like character in every area of your life. It's living a lifestyle of worship. Man, I thought I was kind of a part of the band today, so I'm going to exclude myself and just brag on the others for a minute because I thought they did a fantastic job today, amen? They did an awesome job this morning. I love singing. I love worshiping with my church family, but guess what? Worship is, is meant to be a lifestyle. Worship is not just the songs that we sing on Sunday morning. We also see evidence of the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians chapter 5, um, that the Holy Spirit grows these things in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are these characteristics that you would say, um, don't 100% describe your life because none of us have arrived, but are these things that you would say, I'm, I'm growing in these things, that God is growing these Christ-like characteristics in my life. I'm learning to love people like Jesus. I have real joy in my life that the world and its circumstances cannot take away. I experience peace. Even in the midst of storms, I, I understand peace. I'm learning patience, this patient endurance. I think our Christian walk is largely about patience. <laughs> I'm learning what it means to do the good things that God's planned in advance for me to do. Learning how to grow in faithfulness, uh, gentleness. I think another word for that is meekness. Because a lot of men, they read that word gentleness, and they're like, ah, that's not for me. I like all these other ones, maybe. But gentleness, that's kind of a, it's kind of a woman thing, right? Well, no, I think it's, it's really meekness. It's power under control. Who controls your life? Is it you or is it Christ? I feel like preaching today. I do. We were at a conference this weekend on leadership and just, I don't know, I'm a little fired up today. I'm excited about this. I hope you are too. This is the kind of growth that's only possible with the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And so, so we'll, we'll take a step back for a moment as we wrap things up. You know, this parable shows us that you know, Jesus was not impressed by the crowds of people who followed him for the short amount of time that they did. He knew that most of these people who were hearing what he was saying weren't truly hearing. They weren't really receiving it in their hearts. It wasn't making any kind of real difference in their lives. And Jesus shared this parable with his disciples in order to encourage them in the days ahead because guess what? Things were not getting easier for them. I think as we grow in our faith, we recognize things, things don't get easier. They often get more challenging. So he shares this with us today to challenge us, but to encourage us in our faith. God wants us to hear and understand his word. And so my question for you today is this. Do you have a heart that is good soil? 
Do you have a heart that is good soil, willing and ready to hear God's word, to understand it, to receive it, to apply it? Or do you have a heart that's crowded out by the worries and cares of the world? Maybe a heart that believes, but whose roots don't grow down very deep into Jesus. Or a heart that's hard and unwilling to believe. God wants you to have a heart that represents the good soil where his word can take root and produce good fruit in your life. Notice here that producing fruit as a result of God working in our lives, that doesn't just happen overnight. And maybe you're hearing some of these things and the last thing I want to do is for you to be discouraged in your faith, to walk away and think, man, I'm, I'm kind of like the crowded soil today. I guess God can't use me or I'm kind of the hard soil The truth is, is God can use anybody. And he can use whatever you bring to the table. In verse 15 here, it it teaches us about how good fruit doesn't just happen overnight. doesn't just grow overnight. Jesus said, And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word. They cling to it and patiently produce a huge harvest. Patiently. I don't know about you, but when I'm having to be patient for something, that indicates time. I get excited about a new movie that's coming out that they announced. I've got to be patient and wait for it, right? You can't just watch it right away. I get excited about a vacation that's coming up. Well, you've got to wait for that a little while. You've still got to work hard in the moment so that you can work towards that. I get excited about Sunday mornings. I get excited about this. But when Sunday's over, you know, Sunday's always coming, but it's seven days away. You've got to wait patiently and work diligently. The kind of fruit that Jesus spoke about, it comes with patient endurance. A fruit bearing takes work. It takes time before significant results are seen. And this is why Jesus taught in parables. He's trying to find people who have these kinds of ears to hear and hearts to receive. Regardless of where you're at in your walk today, God promises us that he's not done working in our lives In fact, he's promised to finish his work to completion. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, he's the one who who grows any kind of good work in your life. He, He grows the fruit. So God, who began the good work in you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Someone say amen. That is awesome. Don't be discouraged if you're not exactly where you want to be today. Instead, focus more on the soil of your heart. Focus more on the truth of God's word. Are are you truly willing and ready to hear the word, to understand it and apply it? Our faith is described in the Bible as a walk. As a walk. Walking is one step at a time, isn't it? I've been running recently. Not fun. But I look at what my wife's doing, and I'm like, okay, I got I to gotta do this thing. And so I did, was it 12 days in a row, a mile a day? I'm trying to do 30 days in a row. Well, I pushed myself too hard. And now I feel like I have shin splints, and my feet are killing me. And I just want a foot rub when I get home. Listen to some Kenny G in the bathtub. I don't know. No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> It hurts, though, because I went too fast. 
And I think there's something there about this idea of walking with Christ. It's one step at a time. And I see people getting burnt out all the time because they jump in too fast and they try to serve in areas too quickly. And, you know, do I think every Christian should be serving? Yes. But to what extent? And we need to be growing and maturing in our faith and taking the right kind of steps. Don't do what I did and get on the treadmill and try to run six miles an hour for like five minutes at a time. It's not good. Don't be discouraged if you're not where you want to be today. Put your faith in Jesus and base that faith on his word. Well, Jesus wrapped up this particular sermon and teaching with these words. Uh, We read the first 15 verses. Um, Most people stop there. And if I had a little more time, I would teach on what we're about to read. But I at least wanted to read it this morning because it's included with everything that Jesus just said. Luke chapter 8, 16 through 21 Jesus said, No one lights a lamp and then covers it with a bowl or hides it under a bed. That would just be silly, right? (laughs) A lamp is placed on a stand out in the open where, where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. This is before the light bulb was invented. For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. Listen to this. So pay attention to how you hear. Are you just listening to words? Are you really hearing? To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. And then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they couldn't get to him because of the crowd. The crowds were pressing in on Jesus. And someone had to go and tell Jesus, hey, your mother, your brothers are standing outside. They want to see you. Jesus replied, my mother and my brothers are all those who hear God's word and obey it. 